Thank you, Bill. Good morning again. Great to be together today, isn't it? How blessed we are to be able to come together and worship God and study his word this morning at this time and place. So thankful. If you're visiting with us today, we sure are appreciative of your being here. You're a blessing to us already. We pray that it will be a blessing for you to be here, to study with us and learn God's word and to worship him together at this time and place. And if you're from the area, please come back every time you have the opportunity. If you're traveling, when you're back in this area, just consider Sunny Slope, your kind of home away from home for the church. And uh, if you are visiting with us, we encourage you. This is our, I think our first kind of old fashioned potluck since COVID. We've had one or two where we catered in, but today uh, everybody brought food. So if you're traveling or if you're visiting with us, stay and eat with us right after worship service this morning. I always say you gotta eat someplace, might as well be here with us. Get to know us better, let us get to know you better. I want to bring to a close the series that I've been uh, preaching for the last, well, probably about eight weeks now, although we took one week break. We talked about uh, the blessings of motherhood during Mother's Day weekend and uh, looked at that from a spiritual perspective, a scriptural perspective as well. This is the conclusion of the series that I've entitled The Devil's Worst Day. A lot of people, they, they think about the devil in terms and in imagery, I, I think that's probably mistaken. And maybe some of that is instigated by the devil himself. Just a cute little guy about four feet high, red flannel pajamas, long pointed tail, carries a little pitchfork with him, some little horns and everything. And he's just a mischievous guy, a character, cartoon character. But again, that is absolutely not the reality of who and what the devil is. So we've talked about how he is our enemy, our gravest enemy, our most deadly enemy. And make no mistake, he is our mortal enemy. And seeking our eternal condemnation, our internal destruction from a spiritual perspective. And he is mean, he is deadly, he is determined. There's nothing neat, nothing cute, nothing nice, nothing good about the devil. Peter portrays him as we've been emphasizing over and over again in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. He says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, your enemy, one who stands against you literally... The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now he is portrayed there as being like this wild beast seeking to eat up prey. And we are the prey he's seeking to destroy. But Peter encourages us by saying resist him steadfast in the faith. Indicating we can resist all of his wiles, all of his ways to try to get to us with God's help and God's strength and guidance. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, John the Apostle wrote, he who sins is of the devil. And the idea there, I think, from the tense of the Greek verbs, if I'm correct in this, is the idea of somebody who is living in continual sinfulness, living in a lifestyle of sinfulness. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or came to this earth that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we're talking about two opposite ends of the spectrum. If we're thinking about maybe old westerns, you're talking about DJ, that dirty guy, and then you're talking about 
you know, here comes uh, the, the Lone Ranger. He's, you know, and, and they're complete opposites. One's the hero, one's the villain, and there's no in-between between them. In verse 10 of 1 John chapter 3, John goes on and says, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest or obvious or, or they're easy to be identified. The two differences in, in humanity, the, the ones who are following the lead of the devil into continual sinfulness. We're not talking about making a mistake here and there. We're talking about living lifestyles of sinfulness and ungodliness and unfaithfulness and disobedience to God. The children of the God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, and nor is he who does not love his brother. And so there we have some portrayals of the difference, again, the two ends of the spectrum, whether I'm walking with God in faithfulness consistently or whether I'm walking with the devil consistently in, lifestyle, in a lifestyle of sinfulness and not faithfulness and obedience to God. Well... But now notice when we talked about the devil and going all the way back, I think before humanity, before God created mankind, we, talk, we, we saw in, in Revelation chapter 12 in the first several verses, particularly verses seven through nine, it talked about there was a war in heaven and the devil had actually led a revolution, so to speak, or rebellion would probably be a better term, against God trying to usurp God's throne, and he lost badly. He and his angels lost badly. And he was cast out of heaven and down to the earth, and this is where he makes war on humanity and particularly focuses upon the church, upon Christians. This world is the devil's battleground, and our soul's destruction is his battle cry. Death to us, you could think about as being his battle cry, but not physical death. We're all going to die physically unless the Lord comes again first. But death spiritually, eternally, condemnation in hell forever and ever. That is the devil's goal for each one of us. Now, Revelation 12 in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He's limited as to how long he can work on humanity because God will bring that to an end. Ultimately, he'll bring this world to an end. And so the devil knows that he has a short time from the perspective of, of eternity. And so he's here doing what he can right now to try to pull as many people created in God's image with the soul away from God and into sin. How sad that is for his state of being, but how sad it is that so many people he has hoodwinked. He has influence to follow him, to turn away from God to one degree or another. But now all of that, when we think about all that the devil has done, how effective he's been with humanity. In fact, John says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 that the world has come under his sway. So his influence is far reaching, but not across the entire spectrum of humanity. Many people are still walking with God through Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to be doing today, each one of us. But even as, as effective as he's been, as skillful as he is in his ways, as much power as he, as he has, limited though it may be, he's had a whole lot of bad days. 
We talked about a whole bunch of those, seven particular ones up to this point, and then another one that we made that we pointed out from a personal perspective when we walk with God when we make up our not our minds to become a Christian to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins to be dedicated God through Christ that's a bad day for the devil as well really bad day from a personal perspective but he's had a whole lot of bad days whole lot of bad days and we talked about those one after another you could probably think of some others as well but the worst is yet to come for the devil. The worst day is yet to come. When the Lord comes again on that final day of judgment, that will be the absolute worst day for the devil. Worst day. Our Lord will deal the death blow to the devil. The final once for all crushing defeat for the devil. Genesis 3 and verse 15, going all the way back to the beginning, when he successfully lured Adam and Eve into sinfulness and thereby disobedience to God, they became sinners. Everything changed that day. But the devil might have thought, I won. Here are these first two people. He created them in his image, God did, and I've turned them away from him. I've caused them, I've led them, I've influenced them to disobey God, and now they're sinners. But God stepped into the picture even then in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Then he prophesied to the devil. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And we might think from a more general perspective in the first part of that particular verse and prophecy. But then he became specific and personal. And he said, he shall bruise your head. He'll deliver you the death blow, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, you're going to cause some problems. That was what we understand is the first messianic prophecy. God was saying, I'm going to send the, son, the Savior into the world in the person of my son, God the Son, the Christ, and he's going to bruise your head. He's going to deliver the death blow to you. You're going to cause him some problems while he's here. You're going to cause persecution and, and so on but he is going to be absolutely, totally, and eternally victorious over you. Wow, what an understanding and what a blessing. Even there in the beginning, God already had in mind, and when you look through some of the, Old Testament, uh, the New Testament scriptures, even before he created mankind, he already had the plan for man's redemption in mind, knowing that we would be weak as human beings and we would need a savior, a redeemer. Satan's trying right now, while he still has the time that, and the latitude that, that God has granted him to work on humanity before God sends the savior into the world for the final day of judgment. He's already sent him as the savior, but when he comes back the next time, it'll be the final day of judgment. Peter describes that day as one of cataclysm for this world because he says it's going to burn up. God's going to bring this world to an end. But Satan right now, he still is trying to blind people to the saving message of the gospel. While we're still alive here, until the Lord comes again, we have the opportunity to be saved, to be forgiven of our sins, to be redeemed through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. As we celebrated a few moments ago through the Lord's Supper, 
So the devil's working hard to try to blind people to the message of that gospel, the message of Christianity. When we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 3, the apostle Paul wrote, but even if our gospel is veiled, we understand what a veil is, covering somebody's face, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God, lowercase g, talking about Satan himself, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Now it doesn't say that the devil's able to blind everybody to the truth of the gospel, but those who refuse to believe, he's worked, his blindness has worked upon them, blinding them to the truth of the message. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the devil wants to try to, <clears throat> in whatever way he can be successful, keep people from either learning the gospel to begin with, learning that Jesus is their savior, and there are a whole lot of people in the world right now who are in that camp. But if they have come to know about God and about Jesus, he wants to blind them to that message of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus, through the gospel. He wants to blind them to that. We have opportunity for life and immortality through the gospel. And so that is the message that the devil sees, that's counter, that's, that's gonna pull people away from me and back to God. They're gonna turn to God through the savior. So I, I don't want them to hear the gospel, but if they hear it, I wanna confuse them as to what it really is saying and even cause them to not believe it at all, at least basic tenets of it. So in 2 Timothy chapter one and verse 10, the apostle Paul wrote, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, the idea of abolish death is forever. He offers us eternal life from the spiritual perspective in heaven with him through the message of the gospel. And that's what the gospel message is all about. The key to forgiveness and redemption and salvation is believing the gospel, the gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went to that cross as our savior, died on that cross to pay the price for the guilt of our sins so that we could have the opportunity as we come to understand that he is our savior. We can obey him, we can be baptized into him and the blood that he shed on that cross is still 100% effective to cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. So we can be reborn as we're baptized into him as he told Nicodemus must happen in John chapter three, verses three through five. John eight, beginning with verse 31, what did Jesus say? He said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, live by my word, you are my disciples or my followers indeed, or you're truly my disciples, truly my, my followers, evidenced by your living by my word, the teachings of my word. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The devil doesn't want us to know the truth. Even if we come to see it, even if we come to read it from God's word, even if somebody teaches us the truth, the devil wants to blind us to that, to belief in that truth, to the reality of it, to the saving message of it. So if the devil can persuade mankind to close their eyes, to close their eyes to the truth, to not believe, then to an extent at least, he wins. 
In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul wrote. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God. What is the power of God? The gospel message is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Now you talk about a person who had to make a 180 degree turn in their life. That was Paul. Before he became a Christian, he was violently opposed to Christ and Christianity until he learned the truth and came to recognize it, realize it as being the truth from God, and he repented and became a Christian himself. He was baptized into Christ. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's the message that bears the power of God to salvation. It can change lives. It can change lives. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, the Hebrews writer wrote, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Aren't there a lot of people out there right now whose hearts are dull to the message of Christianity, to the message of salvation in Christ, to the message of the gospel? They, they don't want to hear. If they hear, they, they just kind of tune it out. The text goes on and says their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should not heal them. <laughs> I remember I was preaching in another congregation many years ago in another part of the country. There was a lady there who was a dear Christian, loving Christian, serving Christian. And her daughter was too. She was, she was a faithful Christian by that time. Not quite the same personality as her mother, but she was a faithful, dedicated Christian. And so the mother was telling me that, that years before when her daughter was, a, was just a young girl, she had a hard time, I guess, getting her to mind her, as we might say, to be respectful. And she said, you know, at least one time, and maybe it was, maybe it was more than one, she said, she's walking down the sidewalk outside the house away from home, and I'm, I'm yelling to her something. You know, she's telling her something that she needed to do. She said, she continues walking away, does not turn around and look at me, she just puts her, ear, her hands over her ears. That, that, that's, that's a kid, isn't it, sometimes? And if they don't literally put their, head, their hands over their ears physically, they just whoop, turn it off and they'll pay any attention. Well, but see, what, what the Hebrews writer, or what, what, uh, rather what, what we read in Matthew account is that, that people who are adults, they get to a point where I don't want to hear that. I have a preacher friend who many years ago, he talked about driving out, I think it was in the country, to a fellow's house that he wanted to talk to about, about the Bible. And so he drove up in his front yard or in the driveway and the fellow was sitting on the front porch. And, and my friend said, I don't know how many dogs came up to the driver's door of the car. And out the open window, he yelled up to the fellow on the porch, will they bite? And the fellow said, get out and see. I don't think he wanted to hear, see? I don't think he wanted to hear. And that's where a lot of people are. They don't want to hear. But the devil is behind that tuning out the gospel message on the part of individuals. 
But now saying all of that, again, it's the gospel message that God sent Jesus to bring to mankind saying, hey, you, I'm giving you a chance for a do-over, a new start on life from a spiritual perspective. I'm sending my son to die on that cross to pay the price for your sins because sin is so grievous. And Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2 and verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. In other words, he came in human form while still being fully divine, that through death, death on that cross, he died physically on that cross, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Over and over again in this series, when the devil might have thought, I've done it, I've been successful, we've seen that God stepped in, said, no, 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 you didn't win. I'm making the way. And he had bad day after bad day after bad day, even to the point where when Jesus was crucified on that cross, the devil must have jumped up and down and said, I finally did it. I killed the Savior. I tried to do it when he was just newborn and I had that King Herod kill all the, all the, the young children back, all the young boys back then, and, and God swept him away, told Joseph to, to go to a different country. So I mess, I failed then, but this time I got him. He's dead on that cross. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave and the devil lost again, lost again. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, John the Apostle writes along the same line, he who sins is of the devil, that is, keeps on living in sin. For the devil has sinned from the, from the, from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, brought into this world, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Through Christ, we can have a new start. We can defeat the devil as we turn to God through Jesus Christ. We can win. In Romans 16 and verse 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. What a statement. What a promise. And this is God's word. Paul simply being the penman, but writing what God guided him to write through the Holy Spirit. God will crush, crush Satan under your feet. As we turn to God through Christ, through the gospel message of redemption and forgiveness and salvation, we beat the devil. We beat the devil. And it's God's power that defeats him for us and with us. And this, we likely we're talking about in this particular text of scripture, is promise for the present. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 9, you see Peter's writing to Christians, but also non-Christians who are considering, can I live that Christian life? Can I really be faithful? Can I, can I come out of sin? Peter says, yeah, yeah, by God's power, with his help, through his blessing, through his strength, you can. He says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse, 7, uh, verse 13, Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. God is faithful. To who? To you. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
And so God will crush Satan under your feet, he says. What a statement. But obviously, the allusion goes back to Genesis 3.15, where God told Satan, speaking of the coming of the Savior, he will bruise your head. He will deliver you the death blow. He will bring, bring your reign upon this earth to an end. Wow. Just think, the devil will be cast out. The devil would be cast out. John 12, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of the, this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. All of humanity have the opportunity to come to the Savior, to come to God for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And when Christ has put all enemies under his feet, including the devil, the ultimate of all enemies, then he will deliver the kingdom, the church, to God, and he will put an end to all rule and authority and power. Think about that. Oh, oh let me go back there. Let's see if I can get back there. Uh, yep, there it is. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 26. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. The Apostle Paul wrote there. The devil will have been defeated once and for all. When Christ comes again on that final day of judgment, it will be the devil's worst day ever. And for all of eternity. His reign as the terror of mankind will be over. He will be finished. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those who have died faithful Christians before the, the Christ, they will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We can look forward to ultimate and eternal victory because the devil will have been defeated. His reign over humanity as the terror of all mankind will be over, finished, done. And we get a little image of that perhaps in James chapter 4 and verse 7, where James says, submit to God, follow God, be obedient to God's teachings, be faithful to God consistently, resist the devil and he will flee from you, James wrote. What a great scene. What a great image. When Christ comes again, when Christ comes again, it will be the devil's absolute worst day. Worst day. We see in Revelation 20, beginning with verse 1, the devil being restricted to some extent. We're talking historically now, and I believe we're probably in that period right now where he is somewhat restricted. He's not allowed yet to raise an enemy among humanity trying to destroy the church, but some people have said, when I've taught on this over the years, they've said maybe we're in, we're starting at the beginning of the, the, the change there. 
But look at what it says. Revelation 20, beginning with verse 1, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, that's not a literal thousand years. It's a long, complete period of time. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. It doesn't say that he does not have the ability to tempt people to sin. If you read the text of the Revelation before this particular point, it's dealing with Rome, I believe, being a literal, violent, physical enemy of the church trying to destroy it. And so that's deceiving the nations. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And then we pick up with verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, symbolic representations of the enemies of God's people going back into Old Testament scripture, which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. And then notice, what's the, po the focus of their battle? Verse 9 and 10. They went up, to, went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the church, I think we can understand, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So the devil, somewhere along the line, if I understand the text correctly, among all of the symbolism that's, that's, that's you know, couched in there, someday we're going to have another situation where the church is going to be violently persecuted by governments of the world. But God will not let that abide. And so fire from God came down from them. In other words, God's going to bring that period to an end. It says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Himself cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In other words, the devil will be done, is how that seems. Done. We look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 54. As you come to Christ, you can be assured of ultimate victory over the devil. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 54, when this corruptible, that is this physical body, is put on incorruption, that particular chapter talks about how when the Lord comes again, we'll be given a new body, a spiritual body. And this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, and here's the instruction and the encouragement. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, because God is going to give you the victory as you stay faithful to him. And you can be assured of God's sustaining care while you're still alive in this world after you have been baptized into Christ. 
The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then dropping down to verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says, stay faithful to God. Come into Christ through baptism for the remission of your sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. Acts 22 and verse 16. Stay faithful. Revelation 2 and verse 10. And you will be eternally victorious over the devil. Eternal life with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in heaven forever and ever. More than conquerors more than conquerors. How blessed we can be if we will simply obey God. If you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd love to help you with that this morning. If you need to study about that some more, we will study with you if you'll just ask us. If you need the prayers of the church for strength, for forgiveness, for whatever the case might be, if you'll step forward, let us know or talk with us privately, we'll pray with you and for you. Don't let the devil win. You don't have to let him win. God says, I'm giving you, I'm offering you victory if you will come to me through my son, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?